Grace to you and peace from God the Father, who first called to Abraham with the promise that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And from Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, who would be the sacrifice of God that would ultimately provide for the world that we could hear and see by the eyes of faith the promises of God fulfilled in Christ our Lord. And from God the Holy Spirit, who sprinkles our heart clean with his holy word in the waters of baptism and calls us to walk by faith, not by sight, always remembering that he is our paraclete. He is by our side. So on this first Sunday in the Lenten season, we have two poignant stories, one from the Old Testament, Genesis 22, the binding of Isaac, and also the New Testament account of Jesus' baptism and temptation, which is always the reading for the first Sunday in Lent. And this year we have the account from Mark. Certainly those two different accounts are related. We will spend a little bit of time visiting the baptism of Christ, but most of our time will be spent in Genesis 22 in a difficult passage, which I think is probably best entitled The Offering of Isaac, because we remember that he really wasn't sacrificed, so calling it the sacrifice of Isaac is not entirely proper. He was offered, and there were two substitutes that were ultimately sacrificed, one penultimately in the ram that was tied up in the horns and the foliage, and the lamb that was Jesus Christ, that would be the permanent substitute for Isaac, for you, for me, and the world. If you're paying any attention to the bulletin, you may have seen that there is an atypical text given for today, one that is beyond our Old Testament reading. It's really difficult, almost impossible, to see properly what this difficult story is from Genesis 22 about going back and looking at the promises that were made to Abraham earlier. Otherwise, it looks like a story of a sort of an ogre God demanding things that he would later prohibit, child sacrifice and things like that. So we can't make sense of Genesis 22 unless we look at some of these passages, beginning with Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is the account, and I'll just distill it down to a few simple things, where Abraham is told to rename his wife Sarah, which means princess, because she is going to be in the princess position of being the mother of kings and nations and peoples, implying that she's going to have kids. At that account, you may recall that Abraham is the first one to laugh at the promise. He laughs in his heart. God doesn't say anything this time. Later on, Sarah would laugh, and then God would say something. The chapter ends with the circumcision of Abraham, which makes him probably one of the very few people who are 99 years old to have surgery. Uh, he and all of his household. And hence, we have this introduction to the promise, the covenant, which literally means cutting. It was a relational arrangement where a superior king would come to a vassal king and said, this is how we're going to have this relationship, and if anybody breaks the relationship, this is what's going to happen. 
and they would have a sacrifice. And the sacrifice would represent anyone who breaks that covenant promise. In Genesis 18, verse 14 only, it's the only verse I'm looking at, and here is the account where Sarah overhears the promise that she as a 90-year-old woman is going to have a baby and her husband is approaching 100, and she laughs in the tent, this time audibly, apparently, and the angel of the Lord who is visiting Abraham responds to the laughter no doubt reminding Abraham of his own laughter with these words. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At this appointed time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Then we get to Genesis 21. It's the promise fulfilled. It's the birthday party for Isaac. Isaac is born. He then is circumcised on the eighth day, probably one of the very few eight-day-old children to have surgery. And in this particular case, Sarah laughs again, but only because the promise is fulfilled and the joy in her heart is overflowing. And then she makes this statement. Who would have said that Sarah would bear to Abraham a child that she would nurse in their old age? And of course, you and I know the answer. God would have said that, and in fact, God did say that. And so the promise is finally fulfilled. Actually, between Genesis 12, when God first calls Abraham, and Genesis 22, when we have today's Old Testament account, there are at least 21 verses where God references either specifically or obliquely, tangentially, that Abraham is going to have descendants through Sarah. Two times he specifically said that Isaac would have descendants. So now God has made a lot of promises between chapter 12 and chapter 22. Many of them have been fulfilled, some have not. Almost all of those promises regard childbearing and Sarah and Abraham and in two cases, Isaac having his own children. When we get to the birth of Isaac, if you have been familiar with those previous chapters, you are aware that Abraham was not always the rock of faith that we see from Genesis 22 moving forward. We see a different Abraham after chapter 21. When this boy Isaac is born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, Isaac now Abraham now becomes the rock of faith that he was not previously. He was a vacillator. He was a guy who lied about his wife and his relationship so that he could protect himself. He was a guy who was a person who would listen to his wife's poor substitute plan about having kids through her maid than God's preferred plan of waiting until the proper time to have a child through Sarah. He was a God who goes along with the plan because he is not patient. He wants God to do it now. He's been waiting, goodness, for years and years because of that promise he made early on in Genesis chapter 12. 
that he would have a nation following him. But now in chapter 22 and moving forward, we see a man who is totally different, a man who is courageous, a man who is faithful, a man who, of course, is sacrificial. He's willing to take this child that he has waited for, for his whole life, really, uh, his whole adult life, his whole married life, and especially the last 25 years that he had that promise that it would be through him that the world would be blessed. The child has arrived. A quarter of a century of promises have been fulfilled. And now God says, okay, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him on a land that I will show you. Like Abraham, when we get to the virgin birth of Jesus, and maybe when we fast forward a little bit and get to the forever faithful Jesus who is loving, trusting, giving, sacrificial, or maybe if we go a little bit further and we look at Jesus praying for those who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Or maybe if we get a little bit further on, three days later, and see the resurrected Lord. You see, we have those same promises fulfilled that Abraham got to see. Now when we see Christ through all those promises fulfilled, it should change the way we think about living and forgiving and loving and making sacrifices. So that our life now reflects Abraham's life in Genesis 22. So let's take a moment and visit this particular tremendous test of Abraham. And it really starts with the resurrection. I like to call it Abraham's early morning faithfulness. And you notice that when that day comes, Abraham doesn't hesitate. He gets up early in the morning and heads off for the land that God will show him. Just like the first time he was called. So when we think about the resurrection, I don't know that Abraham knew that Christ one day would come, be sacrificed, and be raised up. He may have known that. God may have given him that as a prophet. God told him things that are not always included in the text. But he certainly believed that this boy, this boy who was just probably 12 years old, this boy was going to be the one that would live if God took his life. Those two promises specifically about Isaac having children were in the back of his mind. So after God made this incredible, difficult order, Abraham was thinking about the birth of this child. God has always fulfilled his promises to me. This boy was born when I said it couldn't be done. And this boy... God promised would have children. There's got to be a future I do not see. There's got to be a resurrection. And in fact, when we see Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, talk about all these faithful people in the Old Testament, 
he gives three verses about this particular account, and you may know them from Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, a great faith chapter. If you're looking for a chapter to read, if your faith is weak, go to Hebrews 11. And this is what the author says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. His last words, He considered that God is able to raise even many from the dead. Abraham believed that Isaac would be resurrected, and that's why he followed through one reason. I call that resurrection resolve. When you know and believe firmly that the resurrection is coming, you start to act differently. When you really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you start to act differently. You start to live with one foot in heaven. You start leaning more and more on that resurrected nature that we get in the waters of baptism. And as we turn to our epistle lesson for just a short visit with Jesus' half-brother James, you may remember that James was an unbeliever. Thought his brother was whacked. Must not have followed him carefully enough to listen to all his words and see what he had done. And it really wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus that James changed. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Paul writes, God made a specific appearance to his brother James. God doesn't usually do that. He did the same thing to Paul. God does not reward unbelief. And yet that's what he did with James. And so James now writes in the first verse of our epistle reading today, sort of a resurrection resolve. This is what he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So James realizes that the resurrection really does change everything. That when you're under trial, you remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. And one day, all those who believe in Christ as Savior will be raised from the dead. And what about Jesus? What about James' half-brother, Jesus? The last words of our gospel reading. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the... What's the word? Repent and believe the gospel. What's the word mean? Good news. What's the good news in the gospel? Well, we're forgiven and we're going to heaven. We're going to be raised from the dead. The gospel is the last word. It's the good news. And it is why we can stand against Satan and his minions and a distorted world that turns truth inside out and calls, as the prophet said, falsehood true, and what is true, false. When you and I face temptation, we do it with the resurrected Christ, living in our hearts and his word in our ears and in our heads. And we do it as though we do have one foot in heaven. Because we do. That's what it means to be baptized into Christ, to have the living Lord 
present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us, directing our soul and spirit. It is to remember that we are forgiven, and the many times we have not stood strong in temptation, God still stands by our side. What does he ask of us? The same thing he does in our gospel. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. The last word is the gospel. God doesn't leave us when we fail. When we face temptation, we are looking at the eyes of temptation with victory. Jesus won every single battle against temptation, and we get that record, undefeated, now and forever. So what we really have in Genesis 22 is not so much a story about Abraham's faithfulness. We have a story of God's faithfulness to Abraham, which changes the way that he looks at his own temptations and trials. Remember the song that you spoke earlier. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithfulness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my wrongdoings. Remember me according to your faithfulness, another verse says, for your goodness sakes. All those who love the Lord Remember his faithfulness and truth is another verse from Psalm 25. Genesis 22 is about Abraham going back to the word of God and saying, you have always been faithful to me. In my failures, when I tried to pass off my wife as my sister, you stood by me. Abraham remembers the good news, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, and the future life everlasting. But really, Genesis 22 is about God's faithfulness in Christ. You know, there's all these pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, and he himself would say in the Gospel of John, these testify about me. He's talking about the Old Testament. This one is like the picture of Jesus. Why? Because God says to go to the land of Moriah. The word Moriah means the Lord sees. Go to where the Lord sees what's going to happen. The land of Moriah, according to the books of Chronicles, is the city of Jebus. Jebus that was conquered by David and renamed Jerusalem. The land of Moriah was a land that included three hills. I kind of like to think God is Trinitarian in his geography, too. And the middle hill is where it all happened. And on that hill, the same hill that the plague of death was stopped during David's day, God would put his son on a cross. His son, his only son, whom he loved in place of us. And the plague of death would stop there forever. Because in a garden tomb not far away from the cross, Jesus would break out and show us life after death. And so when they're going to this, we start to hear the voice of Abraham as he addresses his two servants. 
And he says, you stay here with the donkey. We will go and worship and return to you. He's thinking resurrection the whole time. We are going, we are coming back. Even if God has to raise my son, who he promised would have kids from the dead. And when his son asks the question about the sacrifice, what does he say? God will provide for himself a lamb for sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has given us picture after picture after picture that Jesus has made a promise to us based upon an Old Testament promise already fulfilled, already given a picture of himself, of God, fulfilling yet more promises. And so when we face temptation, we face it with the courage of God's faithfulness to us. He has always kept his word. He has shown us in Jesus what he is really going to do. And Genesis 22 is about the clearest picture without literally Calvary happening in the Old Testament that God could say, that's what I'm going to do for you on that mountain with my son. Repent and believe the gospel. And I don't know if you picked up this really important nuance, but when Abraham raises the knife, and really the Hebrew word is not knife, it's cleaver. And it's not a sacrifice. The word that's used there is slaughter. What the author is telling us, this is slaughter. Don't do this. And he doesn't. God stops it. But what does the angel say out loud from heaven? Abraham! Abraham! From heaven. So Isaac would hear, my dad is not crazy. God's word spreads to other people when we speak the gospel. Jesus is the one who was speaking those words. He is the angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord who would make that sacrifice. God calls his people to make small sacrifices, and he's transparent about it. He says, take up your cross and follow me. We do it because it, we know it doesn't end with the cross. It ends with the gospel. That's the last and loudest word Good news, resurrection, forgiveness. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which goes beyond what we understand, keep our hearts and minds strong in Christ so that we might serve him with resurrected resolve always. Amen.